Hello. 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 And, and welcome, welcome to the, the Young, Young Spielbergs. Spielbergs. Yes, that's right. Hello and welcome to the Young Spielbergs podcast. I'm your host, Charlie, and this is the first episode of the podcast. I'm so excited to finally be starting it. Feels like it's been work forever now, and I'm just so happy to be at this stage now. Before we get into the episode, I want to give a brief introduction to what the podcast is going to be. So the premise of the podcast is to is conversations with young filmmakers, basically, and talking about experiences they've had, skills they've learned, current state of films, current events. It really depends on the guest. Each episode is un- certainly unplanned, like a little bit unplanned, and the conversation is natural, so I have no idea where we may end up in each episode. One thing to bear in mind is each episode is filmed over Zoom, so... Please remember that, if, especially if the audio isn't great in certain moments, but hopefully it's good enough for you to still enjoy. I want to use this time to introduce a reoccurring segment of the show that I'm going to be putting in basically every episode, and it is a directorial debut spotlight. So at the beginning of each episode, I will recommend a director's debut to check out, and this can be features, shorts, even documentaries. This can also be a director that's gone on to make other films since. For example, this week, I'm highlighting Mimi Cave's Fresh that came out last year. Fresh is about a woman named Noah. Noah is getting tired of dating and having unsuccessful dates, but she then she meets a charming man named Steve. Everything seems great until it isn't, basically, and... Why I picked Fresh, it may not be a perfect film, but what I love about it is how ambitious it is, especially for a debut. It's rich in it's rich in fresh ideas, pardon the pun, and filled with very current and strong themes that I feel really come together into an incredibly strong debut. It's very fun and is currently streaming on Disney Plus, so please check it out. Support directors' debut films. Now, uh, enough of me rambling. Let's get into the episode. The guest we have on today is someone very dear to me, my own blood actually. It's my brother Bill. Bill is one of the main reasons I'm even into film to be honest. So I was really looking forward to our chat. Without further ado, I hope you enjoy. Hello and welcome to the Young Spielbergs. Today I'm joined by Bill. What? <laughs> Bill is my brother and he's the first guest on this podcast i would like to ask you bill how does it feel to be the first guest it's quite an honor it is an honor i mean you know i am kind of your inspiration i was the one who went to uni and did film first and then you've done okay, it now okay but no it's genuinely an honor i've always wanted to do podcasting but never really found an excuse and this is an interesting subject so you do have a face for radio that's for sure i have been told <laughs> that many times we this is the test to see if i've got the voice uh for it well, so, Bill, do a little bit of introduction. So, how old are you? Uh, I'm 23. 24. I went to university in London. I studied film practice. I graduated, God, I graduated last year, but I finished year before because of the big C. Yeah, I, uh, we did our first year of just, like, general film practice, and then we had to specialise in an area, and I specialised um, for my last few years in post-production and ed- editing. Just production and in editing. So have I. I'm specialising my mm. third year in editing. So what I find so interesting about you, Bill, is a lot of things. But most importantly, especially within film, is you chose not to not to pursue film. Well, not, not necessarily to pursue film, but to not go straight into film after coming out of uni. Mm. Why? Well, it's a very cutthroat industry and I'm a very laid back person and uh I guess you know without getting too deep I've like I said I finished uni during the pandemic so there was a lot of uncertainty around everything um and then we came out of that it was a fight for survival after uni um and then yeah I've not has of yet had particularly much interest of getting back involved. I'm not sure I would want to get back involved as an editor, even though that's where my skill set is at. And I'm not sure I'd want to do it as a career yet, because that's the thing. In my opinion, and don't get me wrong, I could be wrong, as, again, I've not actually entered into the industry. Um, It is very much like you have to really want it and really go for it and really struggle for the first sort of 
however long it takes until you get your foot in your door, you meet the right people and you sort of solidify your position enough to make enough money to live off of it, which is just something I can't be bothered for at the moment. I've heard a lot that film is a hobby until you can make money off of it. Like that's what I've heard coming towards the end of my uni mm-hmm. tenure. And so I, I do completely understand that. So, but what I find uh, an argument I find in very interesting and something I wanted to discuss with you is film school in general, like uh, there is many people that go into film that do not study film at all. They just go straight into it. Is someone maybe who wants to go into film, would you suggest film school, film school or would you just go straight into it? That's a good question. I think obviously you have arguments from both sides. You have the, you know, the people who study it and the people who find the theory and the they can really break down in an academic way what goes into filmmaking and that craft as a whole. Like it's like more scientific. Whereas you have the people, for example, like Tarantino. No, Tarantino just started making films. <clears throat> for example, let's look at him. He would argue you just have to love films, and there's quite a lot of directors and filmmakers who were just like yeah you just have to love films and watch films and just go out and make films and just keep doing it even if they're not good just keep doing it because that's how you're learning that's how you get better and i think obviously that's different that's not my how i did it i went to study i think that's because i lack the motivation to go out every day and find something to do whereas i i would say I'm, i'm a quite a creative person but not to the extent of i can just go out and film loads of stuff and then come up with an idea around it and feel that creativity all the time, which is very much like, I think you have to be very passionate to be able to not do it outside of school. But I don't think you necessarily lack the knowledge if you don't go to study film. But obviously there's also the argument of it's expensive to study film, which it is. It's very expensive. I mean, I've not really, I'm quite lucky. I've not had to suffer the burdens of my student loans coming back to bite me in the ass yet. But yeah, I think it's an interesting argument um, that there's validity on both sides, but I don't think you have to go to film school to become a successful filmmaker at all. Yeah, I mean, there is definitely an element of risk of going to uni. Of course, you build up tons and tons of debt and to choose to study something as uh, as volatile, I think is the word, as... um, film like there's no guarantees in film it's, it is a risk but and, and and that risk is obviously not for everyone another director i thought of that didn't go to film school and just watched films he talks about it all the time is robert eggers director of the mm. lighthouse and um the northman the witch uh he talks about a lot of just watching films and how he just watched and watched and watched films all the time and this resulted with him being quite a uh He's, he's relatively right. good, isn't he? He's, yeah, he's, not he's too relatively bad. good. You know, he's <laughs> had he's had three very good films, and so obviously it works for some people. But then, of course, you have other examples of. I mean, there's so many directors that went to film school. So many, so many filmmakers went to film school. It's just mm. where you learn things like that. So it's think, definitely an it's an interesting topic. I think. Yeah, I think. Obviously, there's just a big element of risk with going into filmmaking to make money. Um, I think it is very much like you said earlier, like a hobby. It's it's a hobby until you start making money, but I don't think it ever stops being a hobby for a lot of people. I think the people who really love it, it's always fun and it's always a hobby. Um, I think it is a very difficult thing to sort of choose as a profession, but if you love it, you love it, and it doesn't really matter how successful you are. If, you, if you're doing it, you're doing it. Do you know what I mean? Mm, definitely i mean uh they always talk about like the ladder and climbing up into the industry and things like that i i find uh you know i i'm third year university this is my last year graduating hopefully in like five months six months i i'm trying to figure out the next stepping stone for me of course you you chose not to follow into film but you, i assume you know people that did follow into film or at least at least made that stepping stone. Do you yeah. do you feel like film has become more easily accessible for young filmmakers over the past five years, maybe? Or has it become harder to get into? 
I think I would say in terms of like my experience, you get it hasn't really changed even over the pandemic. I, I'm I think it's still quite if you really go for it, you can find the connections. If you if you make those connections during university and stay in touch with the people who do already have their foot in the door a bit, you can still make it. I think the opportunity is still there. I mean, look at how much the film industry has bounced back from the pandemic. Um, that was obviously a real scary time uh, for everything, but specifically the movie industry as well, because no one was going to see movies. It was difficult to get crews together to make stuff. And sort of the process was really interrupted. But I think the opportunity is still very much there. I think especially in, I mean, obviously I'm in what can be regarded, I'm doing air quotes, but what can be regarded as sort of the central creative place of filmmaking in Britain, which is London, but that's not necessarily the case anymore. You've got some great places, great uh, sort of filmmaking institutes um, all around the country now. I mean, you, you'll have one in Norwich, you'll have one in you have the Manchester, Birmingham, Edinburgh's huge scene for it. Like there's lots of opportunity. You just have to sort of really know where to look and chase it a bit, I think. But I, I would, yeah, in my sort of, I would say since I started at uni to where I am now, I don't think... Apart from that brief pause in the middle, I don't think there has been much change. I think it's still very much possible, I mean, with a lot of luck, to find the opportunity. The other day I saw, um, we were shown, in our uni, we were shown these two graphs of one was film and one was television from like the past five years. I think it was maybe 2017 to 2021. And film films this is within britain films uh the feature length films that were being made was dipping while uh even before covid of course covid took a major hit on everything so they were dipping even before covid and television series were rising even after covid they're still rising why do you think this is what um it, it is that because film and british film is dying do you think uh, that's an interesting question. I mean, that's like the sort of big debate going on about film worldwide. But um, I mean, obviously, you've got like streaming and that sort of model requires more like televised, serialized programs to keep their viewers on and so they can make money. Um, I think obviously there's been a shift in sort of what people want to see as well. I think people really enjoy nowadays more so than before, like longer format material um i think that's where as well it's easier and cheaper to make higher quality television shows now um i mean look at like i don't know i'm gonna use an example i know well doctor who 20 years ago well not 20 years ago 15 years ago came back was expensive to make and the quality the quality for the time was high but not ridiculously high whereas now they've got disney plus behind them they're going to have an insane budget it's in a bit and it's going to be really good special effects and it's going to be like you know it's just easier for them to make and they'll make more of it um and look at like star wars for example star wars was the big sort of film of it was the first proper blockbuster of its kind back in the 70s and then when the prequels came out it's the same again sort of such a huge event and the same again could probably be said for The Force Awakens, but Star Wars is now, it's now biggest presence is on television with like The Mandalorian and, and or it's made, that's sort of where the format they're choosing to tell their stories in now. And I think like looking at sort of the, the shift in filmmaking in the British industry, I think it sort of reflects that change in viewers' habits. Britain has always, in the way I sort of understand it, is we've always been quite a centre of, american filmmaking like it's they will come over here and make it here or a lot of british talent will go over to america and make films like there's a lot of talent on our little island um and i think i, I may i don't think films will ever disappear i think there's always a place to that sort of like length of story and the way it's told and cinemas like everyone's saying oh streaming of course cinemas it won't it may impact cinemas um cinemas will always be around even if it's you know, not big chains, it'll, like little independent cinemas, there will always be cinemas. But I do think sort of, yeah, there is a change in what's being made. I think more television shows and more sort of miniseries and the things in that format will be made in Britain compared to films, um, which is interesting because that completely is obviously a different 
style of just production in general around everything. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see sort of if that trend continues, if film will continue to decline or if it will sort of flatten out on TV production or rise. I do think though, whatever happens, there will still be a huge British filmmaking industry. And I think there will always be like a need for it here. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you made a great point with um, the cost of making a TV series is uh, lower maybe than a film. And I find that interesting because, you know, in TV series is you can create a set, maybe you spend all this money on this great set. You can reuse that set multiple, multiple times. If you create a set like that for a 90 minute film, you use it for that 90 minute film, then it gets destroyed. Like, uh, there's so many examples of that, of huge productions spending all this money on something that they end up not using. Yeah. Uh, it's like, as well, like, special effects. It's so easy to do believable special, like, CGI and practical effects in on a TV budget now that I think, like, Game of Thrones, for example, that would have, 10 years ago, that wouldn't have been a show, that would have been a film, like Lord of the Rings. So you you mentioned about how you specialised in post-production for two years of uni, and that that's a long time to be specialising in something because it only gives you a year to figure out. If, if you're new to film, at least, it only gives you a year to figure out what you want to do within film. The first year of uni... Was you given many opportunities to work on film on the film sets in different roles, or did you kind of have a couple projects maybe, and then you just had to decide? I mean, back then it definitely felt like it was a couple projects, and then I had to decide. But I did sort of get the opportunity to do a bit of everything. Like, I mean, so I didn't have much experience with film before I went. So, like, the first year of uni was sort of my real big learning opportunity, and before that. All I'd done was one year of media studies at sixth form. So I didn't, you know, have much to do there. The only thing that I did, we did obviously did a bit of filming and like proper pirate filming, like real cowboy, that's it, cowboy filming. Like uh, it, it was real, not professional at all. It was fun, lots of fun, but not regards to like industry standard, not really even close. But what I did get a lot of, my my love for editing started then, like before I came to uni. Like I always kind of knew I had a good talent with it and a good. I, I think editing is probably where my passion lies more than anything. Um, mostly because it's very solitary, and you know I get to tell everyone off if I think my opinion is the best, and and I sort of you know don't have to. I it's where I feel I feel like that's where the film is really made is in the post productions because you can make anything out of the reels and the footage you get. You can make anything out of it. But yeah, like first year was not, it was, it was very chaotic. I didn't, cause I think they were trying to get everyone to sort of experiment with everything. Like we had, um, we had an editing module, we had a documentary module that was our like big sort of go out and make a film uh, moment where I was a cinematographer and that. And that's when I decided I fucking hated cinematography. <laughs> um, uh, not so much like the art of it. I think the art is great, but more so the technical side. I just couldn't get behind. I can't, I couldn't be trusted. Like I, I completely agree. I completely agree. Uh, the one thing I think I did, there was like, I didn't get a proper opportunity to direct something to like have my own write and direct and have my own idea and take that as far as it could go. I've had that opportunity later, but not like they were solo ventures. They weren't where well, I was the director on a crew. And um, I do think, you know, three years is not a long time. And I'm very grateful that I had the two years to specialise in editing. I learned a lot from that. I feel like having one year of that, I would have, like, felt quite short-changed. So having, I think, the way they did it was probably the more ideal way. But I, di I definitely, like, first year was not... It was difficult to sort of get proper experience in every role. Um, and I think I was quite lucky that I already had this inkling that I was leaning towards editing i think when we, we, we was probably halfway through first year it, we were told like oh yeah this is what's going to happen i think i think the plan was always that we knew the plan was that but like that's when the realization set in um that yeah like we're gonna have to specialize in something i think deep down i knew i was going to specialize in editing there is i think there's a part of everybody who goes into film that wants to be the director and wants to have all the glory yeah. comes with yeah. being a director 
and I definitely like was tempted by that idea, but I think into in my uni, and I know you've had the same experience, everyone goes for the directing course and then there's not many people on the cinematography or editing course. Like it's a very huge imbalance. Um, and I think because I hadn't been given the opportunity to properly like take the reins on a project in a directorial or anything similar to that kind of role, I I did sort of, I don't, I don't remember at the time, but I think it was a little bit kind of out of like resignation that I was like, all right, well, I may as well pursue the editing one because the directorial one is going to be a bit cutthroat to get into. And I'm not sure. And I wasn't sure anyway, that was what I wanted to do. Like I, at that point, I wasn't sure. I, I definitely wasn't sure even before I did start doing editing properly. I wasn't sure that was what I wanted to specialize in. It was only when sort of second year rolls around and we're like quite deep into our first sort of modules I realized actually I've made the right choice for me. But yeah, it was very much like not 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 having I don't feel like we got given the amount of time needed to properly make that decision with confidence. But then also I'm maybe thinking about it now. You wouldn't I wouldn't have needed like maybe more time wouldn't have been a good thing because it would have made the decision harder. I think um so how my uni works is we do two years of kind of doing anything and like choosing what we want and then we do one year of specializing and even I still felt that it was too soon like um I I was pretty set on directing so I knew I was quite fortunate but there were so many people and so many people that I spoke to that was just like I have no idea like there's there's someone on uh someone in my editing class uh that um they picked editing because they hadn't done it yet and they still weren't sure on what they wanted to do. And mm. so, like, uh, I found that so, like, fascinating because it's like uh, you've done all these things and you're still not sure what area of filmmaking you want to do, so you pick that. And so, like, there's still so much. Like, f- three years to figure out what you're doing within film is too short, I think. Yeah. Because uh, you think about it, these people have 50-year careers, they have like ridiculously long careers like three years is nothing compared and to figure everything out in them three years is too short too short mm. i think it doesn't have to necessarily be the be all end although like for me i think editing is the one i don't think i would in, in a big sort of aspect i don't think i would probably go down, i mean I, don't, I know i wouldn't go down the cinematographer route i do quite enjoy the bit the bits of directing and sort of writing and like taking my own idea and running with it and working with actors the, the little bit i've done since I, I have enjoyed and i've i i know i'm like competent enough that i could you know do it on the whim if i needed to but i do th- for me like I, I just like the process of editing but i do think as well what 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 you specialize in doesn't have to be what you end up doing like um like people you know they start running that's how most people get into the industry they start running on a set and then who knows maybe they'll become a camera operator or they'll become sound person or that there's so many avenues because it's such a collaborative process quite a lot of people involved are accessible and a lot of the knowledge is accessible by everyone um i do think like obviously to really specialize in something you do have to take a lot of time to go into it like you can't just you know be a runner one day and a director the next you have to you ask like luck of the gods if you end up doing that but i do think it is a case of like where you enter doesn't have to be where you go yeah a hundred percent i now want to move on to your next two years so your post-production years how were they because you've you've made the choice you said that you were happy to make the choice was you just given tons of things to edit or was you learning sound as well post-production there's a huge area of sound within there was it was it strictly editing or was it sound editing as well there was a lot of everything it was very i think having two years to do it did give me time to sort of explore a lot of different sides of post-production we'd already had a sound module in year one so more so on the on set side of things um and i don't know if your experience is the same but my experience as an editor your role on set was as um what's it called not did the, the intake guy what's that called dit dit that's it yeah um, like I, I, like dit was an important one i feel as an editor to fill because then i could take ownership of making sure all the footage i get is good um and safe and transferred correctly 
but I, in my experience, I was always automatically put as the sound recordist. I didn't enjoy sound recording. I was good at it. I was good because I'd spent so much time doing it, but I didn't really enjoy it. But again, it was a little bit, I got to take ownership then. If the sound was bad, I, I couldn't blame anyone. It was on me. Um, it never was bad though. Um, but yeah, so in, I'm trying to remember what modules I did second, second year, like my first sort of, we had, ed, there was editing theory throughout all of it, obviously in like the actual meat of, you know, cutting and trimming and putting clips together in an order and like um, montage and all that kind of theory and practice behind it. Um, that was always throughout. We never really had direct, once, once I started in second year, we never had direct real modules to do with that. There was a lot of technical courses like the my first module that i remember was color grading so we did we did color grading for the first term the first semester and that was i was i really enjoyed color grading because it was something up until i got into second year didn't even really know it existed or didn't really understand um whereas now i have a deep knowledge of like how color grading works and how color works in general and I've, I've done a lot of not just in filmmaking i've now used it in a lot of other creative things i've done and even at work like my knowledge of being able to manipulate color tools on multiple softwares has been very useful to me and that's like color, color in a in a big sort of production a color grade this is a separate role that's one person or a team of people doing just that um whereas i feel like where i specialized for two years i got I got to do color grading. I got to do special effects. I got to do, well, very rudimentary special effects. So I got to learn how to do some special effects stuff, after effects and uh, a lot of resolve, uh, light box stuff. So I've, I've learned that I've learned how to do, you know, sound editing. Uh, I don't really remember much of sound editing, but I've learned how to do it. I've, so I feel like getting time to sort of, it's a bit like, again, you, you get the door open. So you get to explore that for me, it was like, I got to explore the whole world of post-production. I got to get a taste of everything. So if I wanted to specialize in a specific thing, I could, I guess, going forward once I left uni. But I think what it helped me figure out is actually I quite like elements of all of it. Like I, I quite like being able a bit of an all-rounder when it comes to post-production. So um, yeah, it was, there was also theory, which I found really interesting. Once we got into third year, the theory behind editing, I got really engaged with, which was nice. It was nice to be able to, like, there was no theory really in second year there was the bits and pieces but no dedicated theory module or class so it was just playing around the whole of second year was just playing around with the tools we had and making stuff and being creative which i felt like having having two years to do it was really nice for editing but obviously you know i wanted to go into that to begin with uh so i feel like yeah one i, I don't i I don't really remember my editing class was really small. Um, I don't really remember anyone there not wanting to be there. They may have been, but they may not have turned up. But I do, I do think it's quite a. I would be very if I was, for example, if I got shoved into cinematography, like just because they needed someone there, and I got put into cinematography, I think I would have hated it. I think I would have hated every second of it. So yeah, it's interesting. It was it was interesting. See what I, I find. <laughs> no, 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 that was really good. That was really good. Uh, what I find so interesting about that is so i'm editing i'm the i'm in the editing specialism i'm only doing it for one year i'm not learning special effects i'm not really doing much sound editing like I'm a little bit it's mostly just editing theory editing theory editing theory mm. and when i initially heard about you doing two years of specializing i thought ah, oh, that's not enough time that's not enough to just like to make these decisions but this is such an interest, interesting perspective that you are given so much more time to learn many more things. Like you said, being being a bit of a Swiss army knife, being able to know all different parts. Like uh, for one of the graduate films I'm editing, I've got to learn special effects by myself. I, I, mm. I don't know. I don't have Gosh. a clue, but uh, <laughs> I've been practicing and it's not been coming. It's not been going too badly, but um... special effects is such a, there are very simple i mean that's what's great about i think what's nice about for me post-production is i was like back before uni i was able to figure out like uh keyframes and all these quite like not complicated well, i don't know it's not complicated to me anymore but what is quite a hard thing to sort of break into i learned all of that on my own just by playing around and it's so a language, yeah, isn't it it's yeah like, it's either uh, language it's like the special effects side is just the same you can do very basic stuff 
and not even basic stuff. You can do quite complicated and clever stuff that to people who aren't, you know, in the know of it, they think it's magic. But when you go, oh, it's just actually, you know, these three tools and it's really simple. But it's, yeah, it's just like you said, a language, like you just need to know how to speak it a bit. Yeah. Something I find so interesting about editing is it is, it's, it's rewriting the film. It's, you are... I know it's such a common saying, but it's like you rewrite the film three times, of course, in the script during production and then post-production, like you hear it all the time, but it is so, that is one thing that I've definitely come out of my editing specialism realizing is I can so easily manipulate the footage into being something completely different to what the director was looking for. And whether that works more or works less, it doesn't matter. It's still, I I hold that power as the editor. And I, I always find that so, it's a lot of pressure, but like good pressure. Yeah, it's interesting. Like my my graduate film, so I had, going back to your question earlier as well, um, I had a lot. So second year, it wasn't too bad. I got to work on some fun films second year and I made a lot of good connections. But the third year came around and everyone was made, all the directors had to make a graduate film. And there was only so few editors. So I ended up doing, um, I believe, I ended up doing the most out of anyone in my year. I ended up doing three films, like editing three films on top of my own film. How long were these films? So Reef was to make like 10-minute films. Um, I was very lucky. Well, I say very lucky. They were all made of people I knew. So I knew the directors. Two of them, so one was my friend Becky, um, one was my friend Lydia, and one was my friend Kat uh so, so that all these uh these girls had like loads of their own ideas and they were all very different so what one film was um a heist film that was based upon it was quite funny when she pitched the idea to me she was like yeah so i didn't really know what i was doing with this film i just liked the idea of this one opening shot and then i ran with it and i was like cool that'll be fun to edit and then there was another one which was a a mockumentary in like the office style of um film students on a film set but there was going to be a real sort of, it was going to be like well, a comedy up until a sort of big reveal. It was going to be a lot of romantic tension between these two characters. And then there's going to be a sort of come crashing down at the end when it's revealed. And um, these two characters have been seeing each other and the girl has had a miscarriage. And there was going oh. to be a sort of, yeah, it, it was a real heavy uh, scene. I'll get into that um, project in a bit because it ended up being a real disaster. But my the last film, which was the most exciting one with Kat, for me at least, was a, it was a real sort of like psychedelic, not horror, but like had spooky undertones and about um, a nun who keeps seeing this ghost. And there was a lot of just, in, she had a lot of interesting filming ideas with that. And she she sort of said to me, like when she pitched it to me, she's like, yes, yeah, so I, it's more of a mood I'm going for. Like I don't necessarily, like there is going to be a story and there is going to be specific scenes, but we'll make it work in the edit. And I was like, that is brilliant. And I was really excited about that. I was in, on set for all three of those films, uh, DITing. They were good productions. They were big, fun. Uh, How many all... crew do you have? So it was quite a lot on all three. So the the first one, the the one we filmed first was the heist one, I believe. It was the heist one, or it was the mockumentary. I can't really remember. They were both. So the mockumentary was filmed. I'll talk about the mockumentary. I think that was filmed first. That was filmed in uni. Uh, we just used one of the studios because obviously it's about uni students, so mm. we filmed it there. I did quite like the, the script was good and the casting process went well. Uh, it was a relatively, you know, a, the way she pitched it to me was it was, you know, this we don't have to do much producing because it's all on uni. It's all, it's all going to be quite easy to set up. And she said, like, it's going to be, I'm just going to sort of let what happens naturally on set happen naturally on set. Unfortunately, that wasn't a decent approach in this case. Well, when I say it was a mockumentary filmed in the style of The Office, what what stylistically do you think, like, the office, the British office, and the American office. What is a huge stylistic thing that they do? Like handheld cameras and zooms, yeah. and so like that. every scene was filmed on a tripod. Oh, God. I know. Um, and I, I had so much going on at this point. I was, I was there DITing. I wasn't. Thank God, I wasn't doing sound on this. We had a sound student. I won't even get into that. I'll get into that in a sec. Uh, we had a sound student specifically come down and record sound for this. But yeah, I, I was just DITing and doing, I was quite, I had quite a relaxed time on set, um, but I had so much going on at the time. My dissertation was due in like a week. Uh, luckily I got an extension on it, but I had so much going on. I didn't really realise how much of um, a shit show that set was. 
because it was absolutely chaotic. My director was trying to sleep with one of the actors, which is whatever. It, and yeah, like I said, it was all filmed on a tripod. The key scene, the, the miscarriage scene where she has a breakdown in front of everyone and, you know, you really get into the emotion of it. They did one setup for it on a tripod again and only did three takes. So I had, and they were long takes. So it wasn't like I could edit around bits if I wanted to change the pacing. It was just that was what we had. I had to work magic with that set in the edit. I think even though it was my least favourite film, I that was the one where I I think I succeeded the most. It ended up being a five-minute film, even though the brief was, it was a 10-minute film. I had added in post all of the camera, like the, to make it look handheld. And I'd, I personally feel it was very convincing what I'd done. We had cut sort of half of the material out in the end. <laughs> There was like, I had to like come up with my own zooms and camera movements just by taking, thank God a lot of it with wides so that I could do that. And yet that was really interesting. I, when, when I got to speak to my lecturers about that, I had a lot, I, that was the, even though that wasn't the one I submitted as my final film, I talked a lot about that one and my experiences on that one, because that was an absolute car crash. What is good about it, I feel was saved by me. Worst bit about it was, so this sound guy, he arrives. So we've got all like the boom, we've got, we've rented all that, all that equipment from uni. But I don't, I don't know if yours is the situation was the same, but if you wanted to have headphones in when you were recording sound, which isn't, you know, essential, but for me, I think is good practice. You can hear what, yeah. what's going on. You can make sure what you're getting is quality. Um, I, I had bought in second year, really decent, like production sound quality, like headphones that you use in sound recording. And I had used these quite often when, well, I used them as regular headphones as well for some reason, but I used them quite regularly if I had to do sound recording and I gave, I just lent them out to this guy. Cause initially I didn't realize I wasn't doing sound recording. So I arrived on set and this guy was there. I was like, Oh great. I'm going to have a chill time. Uh, work on my dissertation. So I gave him my headphones. Everyone loved him on set. He was really funny. There's a lot of behind the scene videos of like me and him even having fun. I mean, there was a joke that it wasn't written into the script that, but there was a joke where, so he he's so this, it's a documentary, obviously filming these people making a film so there's like a sound, there's a sound recordist actor, but then there was also our sound recordist. I think his name was Bob, actually. We may have just called him Bob. I don't know if his name was Bob, but we called him Bob. I don't actually think that was his name, but Bob, he, there was like one joke where like he would keep putting his boom in front of the camera and it would it'd be like, we, it was, I don't know, it was, you know, full, yeah, yeah, full yeah, yeah. all that kind of stuff. Uh, but Everyone, like, the director was obsessed with that and getting Bob in, like, as a joke. She really liked that. And as a gag, I I did think it worked at the time. But then, last day I set, we wrap. I get my headphones back, and they're broken. Like, not broken. even, like, they're not even, like, like, oh, it's just not listening anymore. Like, literally snapped. Like, they are snapped. One of the how headphones. Did he do that? I have no idea how he did it, but he broke my headphones and I never saw him again. He did bolted he not out. say anything? Did he just No, he didn't say anything the whole time. I don't know when he broke them. I don't know. I mean, from what I can remember, most of the sound recording was fine. There were a few bits that were like, Hush, like I could have done better, and I'm not even a sound student, but it wasn't bad. So he must have broken right at the end. Um, but yeah, broke those bloody headphones. They were well expensive. Um, and I couldn't um... use them in my later sets. Yeah, no, that's a piss take. Um, did so, just quickly, does your does your film? So you study film practice. Mm. Does does that include a sound, or is sound a whole different course? The sound was a whole different course in my uni. Yeah, we, okay. At my uni, we had I don't know I don't know if it's the same for you, but we had quite a lot. So we had a drama course, we had a sound course. There was two sound courses. I think there was like a foley course and like a sound, like those sound design and sound editing, I believe, or sound recording maybe. It was probably more sound recording. And there was a, uh, oh, I was about to say something like horrible about Sam. Oh, yeah, I was, I'll say anyway. They were all a bunch of nerds. <laughs> but yeah, the, they, that was a whole separate thing. We didn't really get to use them all that much. There was another set I think I had in second year where we used a sound recorder from a sound set. But from what I can remember, they were fine. But yeah, that that film, that mockumentary was, I I was an absolute lifesaver on it, but that was a disaster. Um, and that was a lot of fun to film. The, the, Highest film was interesting, not not anything special. It was a pretty bog standard production. Um, so on that mockumentary set, we probably had about 15 people. We definitely had more people than we needed. It was only a two-day or three-day shoot. Um, I was I wasn't there for one of the days. It was a three-day shoot, I wasn't there for one of the days. And it was, I think it was absolutely yeah, it was it was just a bit one of the things that was chaotic about it is there's too many people and nobody really knowing what to do. 
the other set was the other set. So the heist film, it was good. I've worked with pretty much everyone that was on the crew on that set before because we were all sort of friends and we'd all worked on projects before. Um, we'd had a producer that I've worked with since first year on it. Who, um, So obviously, you know, university students, you'd expect there to be sort of a, there's a typical age university students are. She wasn't, she was a mature student and she was a Texan. So she was intense. I loved her to bits, actually. She she and she was a really solid producer, but she was intense and she took ownership of a lot. And she caused a lot of drama on our course, but she was, as a producer, she was solid. Um, and she really sort of sorted us out a bit with this film. And she she made a point to be present on set, which I liked. It's nice to have, and she sort of doesn't really get involved with the creative side of things, but to have your producer on set, I I found, to, well, I, I not that it made much difference to me, but I found it, it sort of did give the director time to direct and be there with the actors and you know make the do the craft and the producer was sort of the leader making sure everything was going right everyone was doing their bits which i feel was lacking from a lot of sets i've worked on before so that was nice and that was a real that was a relatively the film was pretty bog standard the on set was pretty i mean sets always chaos but this was like not too bad there was nothing bad that happened um everyone was competent um and the edit was relatively simple i didn't have to do too much difficult things the Nun film was insane. That was an adventure and a half. I feel like that's the thing I'm going to remember from uni. So obviously, like, the way it was pitched to me, I was like, oh, yeah, that sounds amazing. I'm going to have so much fun with this. I'd worked with this director before. She didn't direct. She produced on the the project I'd worked with her before. But um, I've worked with sort of her group before of people, and they're all weirdos, all of them. And they're all proper, like, you know, you're in, you write sort of indie film lot, that sort of, yeah, uh, sort yeah. of people. You're Greta Gerbergs and you're that kind of, that kind of people. But... Yeah, that was I was intri- I was intrigued to work with them. So it was me, her. There was literally a team of four people. It was good. so we had a cinematographer, director, extra like extra. I can't remember what Jake was. He was just there on set to help out because we needed a helping hand. And I was the editor, slash sound recorder, slash DIT. So I was on set, uh, but we filmed. So this was filmed uh, in a, like an abandoned preschool. So where she's from, Durham, up near Newcastle. Uh, and it was really, so we traveled, she filmed, there's like a, yeah, this, I can't remember what it's called, but it's like preschool. Um, it's open to the public. It's like sort of a touristy place you go to, but half of the building is abandoned and the public don't have access to that. We were lucky we were able to shoot in that because Kat has connections with those people. So she went, we, we, we went up, up North, got someone to drive us. Just one of the other cinematographers drove us up there and drove all the way back down to London straight away. Absolute nutter. So that's what 12 hours in one day of just driving. Yeah. Um, so us four, we stayed. So it was literally just a, a crew of four. And then we had three actors. Um, and we filmed this, this abandoned preschool. It was like in the in the hills, like in the in the in the sticks, really far away from everything else. So we get up there, we do we we get we know what we're doing. Should it's all been heavily storyboarded and um the scenes are all well written and everything. Like I said, it was all going to be made in the edit. Like she she was very adamant, like the mood is going to be set there. Um we just need to film it well on on the day. And yeah, so the first day of shooting, uh, we're filming at night as well. So we're in this abandoned building. It's absolutely freezing. First day of shooting, it snows proper heavily. Oh, no. So we drive there. We get to, we get to the uh, nunnery. It's not the nunnery, sorry. The preschool is absolutely fine. Um, we get there fine. Like at midnight is when we leave. We get there. We do all the filming. The first day was just filming with. Uh, we were filming up in the dormitories with the actress who played the nun. And we did a lot of the sort of opening scenes and the setting scenes, like the the big sort of wide shots and everything. And there was a few locations we filmed at all around the um, preschool. And then, yeah, we didn't realise, but it had been snowing overnight. So we then left and it was been snowing. It hadn't been snowing bad, thank God. So we were able to get home fine. But the next day, it was proper, like, six inches of snow everywhere. And drive. we were not, not sure if we were going to be able to get to set. It was completely mental. We, made, we managed to make it. And then we were filming, not only now, we're filming this abandoned preschool, we're filming in the snow. So we, we like, we, the film is set with snow now, um, which was really cool. That was not not anything we expected, but it, it allowed for a lot more creative opportunities. But yeah, it was mad. We then also ended up filming in a swimming pool at one point. Um, we went to this oh, wow. really bougie, like, old sort of, like, 1920s swimming pool, indoor swimming pool that we filmed at. So the sort of setup for the film is, it's this nun and she's seeing a ghost. And it like cuts in between this dark, cold, sort of warm, lit by candlelight, like sort of wooden preschool, not preschool, priest school. 
but then you return to what we what was written what was written as like her headspace and it's a swimming pool and it's you have this nun and then all of a sudden you have this it's the same woman same actress but she's dressed in a like black swimsuit with a white hat so it's like mirror image of a nun in a habit but it's just a, a woman in a swimsuit and she we shot all this stuff around the swim pool and then yeah well, there was so much that was such an um, such a stressful but amazing shoot anyway we get we get to editing this now so we'll, we'll go in and oh my god the amount of different versions of that film i think i made it as a comedy once just for the hell of it because it, you could do it the amount it was such a good we had so much coverage we had so much like cool shots there was so, it was interesting so because it was only a small crew of us and we were all very tight and cat was very good at leading her group it we we would have like weekly calls where i'd show them what i'd done uh and everyone would sort of pitch in it was mostly me and cat obviously you know it should be a director and an editor who ultimately worked together to come up with what a film is in the edit but uh it was interesting there were because obviously it's got to be a 10 minute film we had shot hours and hours and hours of footage and a lot of long takes so there was a lot of good cinematography i had to cut out and you could tell that the points my cinematographer was well upset that I cut stuff out. It's got to be done. It's got to be done for the sake of making the mood and the film what the film needs to be. And we spent so I spent so much time on that compared to the other two films, just because. Of, is, it, is that the film you're proudest of? Do you think then? I think so. I think I haven't gone back and watched my films recently. I've watched. There was a film in second year that I made that was sort of the first film that was like the one that was like had the big production, the big that was really well glued set. And it really, you could feel it once the, in the final product. And the, it was a really, well, good team. Um, and that that was, Cat was on that one, actually. But we filmed that down in Lewisham. Um, and that was a pitched as like a cosmic horror. And it wasn't so much a cosmic horror, more than just sort of a horror, horror. Um, but it was good. I really enjoyed filming that and editing that. And we did, we did a lot of, I did a lot of like color grading, special effects in that. That was like my first sort of foray into it. I was very proud of that at the time. But going back and watching it now, it's, I feel the, you can tell it's the production is still very low budget and still very, you know, it's a student film. Whereas the nun film, I mean, we got that into festivals, not any huge festivals, but like that was, I, I think for me, I can look at that and go, yeah, every, every element in that is very professional and very, like, I feel like I achieved a lot with that film. We all achieved a lot with that film. I, um, I feel like festivals is almost like a, it's, it's like the end goal. It's like the, if you was to say to a student, oh, this could go into a festival, they, they're more than happy, like, uh, to be doing that at our age, film student level, is very impressive, I think. Yeah, I mean, there's loads of, what's fun about film festivals is, you know, you get accepted to a film festival, you get to put one of those nice little logos on your film poster, even if it's a film festival that no one's heard of. But yeah, I think it's nice, it's just fun to do, it's fun to, be able to say, oh, look, like people have seen my film that I've made. You might not know yeah. those people have seen it. So you've done all your talking about your graduate films. I'm sorry if I talked. Yeah. As someone that's got mine coming up soon, literally my first first one that I'm helping with is in a week and a half. What do you advise? Do you, is there any pieces that you got from your graduate films? Like, of course, I've been on set, so I, I, I know set etiquette, things like that. But is there anything that you specifically picked up from your graduation film experience that you feel is necessary? Oh, I get taught it a lot in editing anyway, but I got to really experience it and how it does affect sort of my process as an editor. Coverage, 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 coverage. You're going to be on, if you're the editor and you're going to be on set, make sure there is coverage. Don't care if you come across as an arsehole, push for coverage. It's so important. Push for different. If they, if you have the time, get different takes, get different angles, get different everything, different emotions, different. The more you can play with, the more options you have, the better it will be in the edit. But in general, like, it is going to be a chaotic and it is going to be like a really stressful thing. I think when I did my graduate films, it was like I was. I mean, my edit, all the editing happened in the first lockdown, so. That was an interesting experience. You, I would, I would say, like utilize the tools your uni has because you won't have access to that once uni is done. Uh, yeah. And I do miss that. That's one thing that sort of holds me back now. I think from probably being as creative as I'd want to be is that obviously, you know, I'm lucky enough that I've got a decent laptop that I can edit on and edit pretty competently on. Apart from that, I mean, I've got a phone with good video quality, but it's just a phone, and you know, the, you can't record on phones and stuff like that. But it's not ideal. 
and the sound recording, like sound recording would probably be my biggest weakness right now if I wanted to make anything on my own. So yeah, utilize what you only have. Uh, utilize the space if you need the space to do your work. Like you utilize all of it because um, you're going to lose it very fast and you'll miss it. Um, and yeah, try and you'll you'll get probably get the opportunity to use all the best kit on set. All the best kit will be there. I don't know what role you'll be in. You probably won't get much opportunity to sort of watch it work or use it yourself. But like, yeah, just try and just have fun with it. See what see what's going on. But yeah, it's going to be extremely stressful. So just like try not to panic. That's my advice. <laughs> try not to panic. I think yeah. that's a great great, um, great sentence. Try not to yeah. panic. I mean, more so like for me with editing, when when my graduate film, well, the time to edit my graduate films, I initially went into it's like, We'd, we'd filmed everything and then I went straight into editing. I needed a bit of a break in between, I think. I mean, I don't know. It was the start. Of literally, like, COVID was happening. We hadn't gone to lockdown yet. When, so I went I went away up north, not really caring about COVID, and came back and it was everywhere. Like, that was all anyone was talking about. Or maybe my experience a bit jarred by that. But, uh, yeah, like, it just, I think, take the time to just give yourself breathers when you need it, uh, even on set. Um, okay, maybe not on set. Never stop on set, but like when when you're editing, give yourself breathers. And can, I think the two important things. I think are they, these are the two lessons I want you to take away: coverage, 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 and communicate. Just communicate with. And I mean, for you specifically, if you're going to be doing editing, just communicate with your director, and don't feel like you need to please everyone. Like if if you need to be a bit of an arsehole, be a bit of an arsehole. Not obviously in a hurtful way but like at the end of the day you need to do what's best for the film you don't want to do what's best for people's feelings yeah 100% well Bill I appreciate you coming on it's That's been, been good. an honour thank you very much I hope everyone enjoyed oh, thank you I hope your next guest is as good as me they probably will be they'll probably, probably be more not. experienced <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for listening I hope to see you again soon